Well, it's so good to be here with you. As you've heard, I'm a native son of Smyrna, Georgia, and as it is appropriate, given the week that we've had, I think it's very fitting as I'm not in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and I'm with my, my kinfolk, as they say. How about them Braves, right? You know, like, come on now, can I hear it? Like, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I, I'm a big, big sports guy, so I'm like Hawks. You know, I'm, I'm going for the Hawks. You know, I'm, I'm still rooting for the Falcons, though they're in rebuild mode, and, and the Bulldogs as well. I know that there's some Tech fans out there, sorry. Uh, but again, we are, we are so honored to be back in Smyrna, Georgia. So grateful for the role this church has played in my life personally in the way in which you've impacted who I am influencing me towards the ways of Jesus and to become a follower of Jesus. I'm so grateful for Jeff Hodges. Many, many years ago when I was going down a road in a path that really was harmful, uh, God saw fit to bring him in my life to set the conditions to help me encounter and experience Jesus. In fact, I, I remember going to a disciple now uh, that Jeff brought us to, and the speaker talked about trusting Jesus and it was one of the scariest things I ever thought of doing, <laughs> trusting Jesus with my life. And I wasn't there re ready at that point in, in time, but over time, as I graduated high school, I made a decision to fully go in with Jesus. And your church, Jeff Hodges, has such a big part in my formation, as well as what's going on with me as a church planter, pastor, seeing other churches raise up. We're able to do that because of your generosity. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the investment that you've made in me personally and the investment you're making in our church. And you may wonder, as I often wonder, how did a, a guy from Smyrna, Georgia, end up in Allentown, Pennsylvania? Because that wasn't my plan. In 1999, when I graduated, I thought I would be in Smyrna for the rest of my life. We had a saying back in high school, SMY to the day I die. And really, that's a, a saying that I held on to. Uh, but there was a, a young girl in high school, similar age group as far as when we were going to graduate, and she was praying for her area. And this young woman uh, was praying for specifically Allentown, Pennsylvania, that God would raise up new ministries and churches to reach those people. And little did I know that I would be part of that answer to the prayer that my wife, Amy, would be praying as a high school student. Um, but God saw fit in his goodness uh, to allow me to be a part of what he's doing. But again, we couldn't do it without you. And so whenever I get to come home, it's always sweet. It's always sweet. When Jeff called me and invited me to share, I was like, what an honor. What an honor, and so I'm going to try to keep it together as I'm up here sharing because, again, you guys have a really special a spot in my heart and in my life, and so thank you again for all that you've done through the years, all the ways that you have walked alongside us. And as we're in today's message, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30, and we'll get to them in just a few moments, but the theme of today is really future church, and when I talk about future church, I'm really talking about this idea of not creating something new per se, but really getting back to the ancient ways of Jesus, to not miss what his heart is for us and for his church. And it's very fitting that we're talking about this as we are in Mission Festival Week, and we're talking about being refreshed in Jesus by him, but also being refreshed in his ways. We do not want to forget his ways, and it's easy to miss and misplace 
what it is that he has for our lives. So here's a question. Have you ever missed or misplaced something that was right in front of you? Have you done that? Did you have that experience this morning getting here? You couldn't find your car keys, you know, your wallet, your phone, you know, your, your, your purse. You, you couldn't find it. You know, I had that experience actually when I was here at the 830 service. I realized that I inadvertently had taken the rental car keys that my wife needed to get back here. And so my phone's blowing up and she's trying to reach me and she's like, do you have the, the car keys? Because we're going to try to come over because Jeff and Jackie Hodges had picked me up early. And I was like, oh. Oh my goodness, I did that. I can't believe it. You know, thankfully Jackie Hodges could run it back over, but I'm I'm grateful for them doing that, but it was a reminder of the fact that you can easily miss or misplace something. It's like the the real life game in our own experience of where's Waldo. How many of you ever played the game Where's Waldo? Show of hands, Where's Waldo? Just in case you don't know what Where's Waldo is, there's this character named Waldo, right? And he shows up in in images like this where you have to find him. He's there. He's in the sea of, of people, but it's easy to miss him, though he's right there. He's somewhere in this picture, and there's all kinds of versions of this picture of, of where's Waldo, but it's easy to miss him because he just blends right in. He blends right in, and you know, as we think about our own lives, and as we think about being refreshed in Jesus and, and in his ways, it's easy to miss or misplace Jesus as the centerpiece of the church. It's easy to miss or misplace Jesus as the centerpiece of the church. So the question we want to wrestle with today is how do we not miss or misplace Jesus as the centerpiece of the church? How do we not do that? Because we don't want to miss what he has for our lives. We don't want to misplace him. After all, this is his church, right? (laughs) Maybe you didn't know that, but I'm here to help you out. It's his church, right? You know, he's the head of it. We're we're his hands and his feet, as we've talked so much about throughout this week and even before the mission festival took place. And we want to get his heartbeat. We want to understand, again, what it is that he has for each and every one of us. Because the life that he calls us to is a life that is marked by freedom, a freedom that's found in him. But to choose to follow after him, to see him for who he is, It's easy to confuse what he wants for us for what we want for us. And so we don't want to miss him or misplace who he is. And so today we're going to be, again, in Luke 4, 14 through 30. And before we get there, I just want to set the stage. Jesus has left Nazareth, and he's coming in to what they often call his public ministry. But in Luke 3, we find that he's getting baptized. And as he's getting baptized, his heavenly Father says, This is my son, who I love and I'm well pleased with. And I'm so grateful that in Jesus, that's our identification marker as well. Sons and daughters who he loves and he's well pleased with. He takes pride and delight in you. But after that, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days and 40 nights, he is fasting and he is tempted by the devil. And the way he overcomes these ideas that are lies that Satan wants Jesus to live is to combat them with the truth of God's word. So you hear him say again and again, it is written, it is written, it is written. And the good news for us, we can combat those lies of the evil one the same way Jesus did. Fasting, prayer, being spirit-led, and the scriptures. They are all available resources to us as well. 
And so that's good news for us. But then it leads us from him going out of the wilderness being tempted in, in the beginning part of Luke 4 to where we hear Jesus start to proclaim who he is and what he's about. Starting in verse 14, it says this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And so when you get this picture of who Jesus is and what's going on as he is beginning his public ministry, 30 years he was in, in Nazareth, and, and no one really fully knew who he was, and now he's starting to, to make himself known and, and showing up in different ways, and word is spreading about him. This is before social media, but we have a word and a theme for social media called going viral. But Jesus was going viral. The, the message of Jesus, who he was, it was going viral. People were hearing about it. And it says that he was in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. And then he was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And then he goes on to say this. It goes on to say this from Luke's Gospel, Luke 4.16. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as you look at the mission of Jesus, what he says he's come to do, he says he's come to proclaim the good news to the poor, proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's come to do these things. And as you look at the last one, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, it really speaks to the, 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 the top part of what he's shared, those other ways in which he brings out his ways and his mission to the world, where he meets the physical and the spiritual needs of people, where he walks alongside those around him. And he does that for us in our own lives. But to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee it's referred to, is this idea of renewal and restoration that God is having his way as if he was in charge. And that's what it looks like to surrender and to give over to his kingdom agenda for our lives. And as we do that, it leads to our flourishing and the flourishing of others. But the mission of Jesus is available to each and every one of us. He wants to do a work in us through what he has accomplished through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And he makes that available to us to not only save us, but for us then to join him on his mission. The mission that Jesus would say he's come to fulfill. In fact, he goes on to say this, Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And what is the scripture he's fulfilling? Well, he's fulfilling Isaiah 61, Isaiah 58. These were all prophecies proclaiming the Messiah. The Messiah was to come. And the Messiah who was to come was going to do 
the things that Jesus said he came to do. That he was the one who was able to fulfill these things. And so as we think about that, as we think about the work that God wants to do, one of the things that we don't want to miss from this passage, even as you read through Isaiah 61, and Jesus is reading out of that scroll, he doesn't continue to read where it gets to the part where it says the vengeance of the Lord has come. And really what that speaks to is the fact that in his first coming, he's inviting us in. He's inviting us to be restored. But that we're a preview of that coming day where all things will be made new. And we are to practice what we will be doing forever as Revelation 21 talks about. Where no more tears will be. No more death will be. Justice, full justice, will be reached and will happen. And those who are followers of Jesus will rule and reign with King Jesus. But yet he's inviting us today to experience as much as we can on this side of eternity what will be perfectly ours in Jesus when he returns and makes all things new. What a call, what a gift it is to join Jesus in that. So as we think about this, I want us to hear that the mission of Jesus has become the mission of his church. The mission of Jesus has become the mission of his church. This is the mission that we have as well as his church. Again, we're the hands and feet of Christ. And as you think about your own life, I want you to know he's inviting you, first of all, to be made right with God through what he has done for you. Again, through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. But then to join him and what he is about doing in you, through you, and around you, in the people and places that are all throughout Smyrna. Because in Smyrna, we've got people who we would call the down and out. There are people who have specific tangible needs that we can see. But then there's another group of people in Smyrna that are called the up and out. And you may be like, what are the up and out? Well, the up and out are the people who have the job, who have the cars, who have the money, who have the family. They look like on the outside everything's going great. But when you pull back the layers, you see a lack of peace. You see ways in which they're coping through the anxiety of life. And I've seen it firsthand even in my area. People that look like everything was great on the outside. You could not guess there was an issue at all. But as you start pulling back the layers, they're using alcohol to cope with life. And they move towards a place of alcoholism. You know, there's all kinds of people throughout Smyrna, whether you would say, I'm about the old Smyrna or the new Smyrna, here's the deal. Jesus is about both of them. He's about both of them. He cares deeply about these people. The down and out and the up and out. Again, the mission of Jesus has become the mission of his church. So here's a question for you to think about. What's one way you can start living his mission? What's one way you can start living his mission? And here's the truth. We would all say we're really, really busy, right? As I talk to people, I'm so busy, right? We're busy. And I think there's a time where we need to, to really add something into our schedule. But often what we need to do is look at what we're doing and do it differently. Do it through the lens of someone who's joining Jesus on his mission. For example, I was talking to one of my alum from Campbell High School, Jared Norell, class of 99 represents. Uh, and as I was talking to him, I was like, hey, man, as you think about, as you think about connecting and walking with the people from our school, our high school, one of the easy ways to do it is just to do something that you enjoy and invite them into it. 
Like, if you're going to watch a Falcons game, why not invite them over to watch the Falcons game? And sometimes what happens is when we think about joining the mission of Jesus, we miss those simple opportunities that we have right in front of us and to see those ordinary moments as an extraordinary moments for God to show up. So how could you approach differently the vocation you're in? God's put you there for a reason. God's given you skills and abilities and talents. How could you approach it differently, the way you go to work, the way you interact with people, the attitude that you bring? How could you approach your family differently, your neighbors, where you work out at, where you get your cup of coffee at, right? Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts. Maybe if you're one of those Krispy Kreme kind of people getting coffee there or McDonald's, wherever you go, how could you approach it just differently? Again, what's one way you can start living his mission? Because really when you read through the mission of Jesus, it's one of proclamation and demonstration. It's one of showing and telling. It's one of saying in word and deed, we're going to do both of these things. We're going to display the mission of Jesus. So what's one way you can start living his mission? And who's one person you can serve as Jesus served and shared and share what Jesus has done for them? Again, who's one person you can serve as Jesus served and share what Jesus has done for them? Because it's easy to see the masses of people in the crowds. And yes, Jesus had a lot of people come around him, but he never lost sight of the one, right? It says he left the 99 for the one. He was very attuned to the people he was interacting with and the people that were in his life and on the way in which he was going, even as the disciples would go with them, he would see people and interact with them. So who is that one person that you can serve as Jesus served and share what Jesus has done for them? Share with them how Jesus has changed your life. Share with them how Jesus is at work in your life continually. And then inviting them to understand more fully what he has for them. That they were created on purpose and for a purpose. So again, I want you to think about who's that one person. Well, as we continue on in Luke 4, it says this. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? And so out of the same breath, they say, man, we're amazed at his gracious words, and isn't this Joseph's son? And at first glance, you're like, well, yeah, that's a great question, I guess. But really what they're saying is, how could this guy that we've grown up with claim to be the Messiah? Who does he think he is? Who does he think he is claiming that he's the Messiah? We saw him work with his father in his carpentry shop, I mean, this is just one of us. He's nobody special. They couldn't see how God was at work right in front of them. You know, it's easy to miss how God's working right in front of us as well because we normalize it or we become used to it. We can even become callous or cold to it if we're not careful. And we have to just be sensitive to how God is at work even when it's not the way in which we think he should be at work. Well, it continues on here. It says, Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. And so what they're asking of Jesus, they're saying, Hey, Jesus, we've heard what you've done, but we need you to do for us what you've done in other places. You're like a genie in the bottle. So to validate your 
being the Messiah, the promised one, the one who's going to save, the one who's going to bring salvation. We need you to act at our will and own our will. And he says, I'm not going to do that. He says, you're going to quote that proverb to me. And he says, no, prof- no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Unlike Jesus, I haven't had that experience as I've come home to Smyrna. You guys have been great. You've given me a warm welcome. I felt loved and supported and encouraged. But for Jesus, he was not experiencing that. He was not experiencing that as he came to his hometown in Nazareth. And he goes on to say this, I assure you that there were many widow, widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And what he says is, hey, listen, in the Old Testament, God wanted to come to the nation of Israel using his prophets. And he talks about two of them, Elijah and Elisha. And there were needs in Israel. There was a famine, and and widows had need. And not only were there needs for the widows, but there were those who had leprosy, who needed to be healed. But God didn't send his prophets there because they had an inability to trust God's heart towards them and to do what he had asked of them. They didn't have faith. They could not see God for who he was to the point of trusting him and doing what he had asked of them, to trust his heart towards them. And he says, you know, as we look at you and as we hear what it is that's going on with you in this moment, in this time, he says, in a lot of ways, it's like that. God's showing up again, but you can't see God's work through him sending his son, Jesus, because you don't have eyes to see. It doesn't match up with the way that you think it should be. It doesn't match up. It doesn't line up with your expectation or the way that you want it to be. So here's a question for us. Do we see Jesus even when he doesn't look like what we want him to? Do we see Jesus even when he doesn't look like what we want him to? Because it's easy to project on Jesus what I want him to be. They were doing that in this moment. It's easy as a culture to do that. It's easy even as a Christian subculture to do that. We project on Jesus what we think he should be versus seeing him for who he is. And that's why it is so key, guys, that we journey with Jesus by reading the gospel of Luke. That's one part. I mean, there's all other gospels you can read too, but to study the ways of Jesus, to see what he did, to hear what he talked about, and to join him in that. Because it's easy to get familiar with what it is that we've heard from somebody else or to take somebody else's word for it or to take our own word from it for it versus taking Jesus' words as really the example we're to follow and to letting that set the course for our lives, to coming under his leadership, his ways for us. And really, to be honest with you, to walk with Jesus in that way is the way that we experience the love, the joy, the peace that we so long for. It is joining him, even when it's costly. It's joining him in that. So do we see Jesus even when he doesn't look like what we want him to? The next question is this. 
has your ideology become your theology? Or is your theology informing your ideology? Ideology is ideas. And when you think back to what I said in Luke 4, the devil came to Jesus not with a tank, not with a machine gun. He didn't come at him in that way. He came with ideas, ways to live that were outside of the truth, lies. And even though they had a, a sum of truth in them, they didn't have all truth in them. Therefore, they became lies. And John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lies, he talks about the power of ideas, the power of ideas that then lead us down a path that causes us to miss what God has for us and has for others as well. And so as you think about your ideology, I just want to ask you, are you allowing that to inform and to become your theology? And theology is the study of God. In fact, as we're in Refresh Weekend and we're in Mission Festival, I mean, you think about the study of, of mission, it's missiology, to have God's heart and vision for it. But it's easy to allow an ideology that may be outside of a kingdom theology, outside of God's vision for us, to become the same thing in our minds and our hearts. Whereas what we want to do is to allow who God is, his ways, what he's about, his priorities, to lead our ideology so that we cannot move to a place of idolatry. And it's so easy to do that as well. But again, has your ideology, ideology become your theology or is your theology informing your ideology? Well, he continues on here in the Gospel of Luke. Luke says this as he's recording this. He says, this is what happened next. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. And so what you find happening right here as you look at what Jesus has done, he's brought truth to them in a loving way that they did not want to hear. So much so that they got upset. It says that they got furious. These were the people that were coming to the synagogue during the Sabbath, right? They wanted to hear the Old Testament law, but they got so furious that they drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill in order to throw him off. They wanted to take his life right then. But one of the things it says here that I think is so interesting as we study the ways of Jesus, it says, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. He just kept going. He kept going. And when you study Luke's gospel, when you get to Luke 5, you see him continue to teach people and to proclaim the kingdom of God. And you see him healing people. And then you see him get away and be refreshed by his heavenly father to discern what his heavenly father had for him. And rinse and repeat. And he keeps doing that again and again and again. He kept going. He kept moving forward. And so a question for us to wrestle with as we look at the life of Jesus is, will you follow Christ even when the crowds and critics won't? The crowd is fickle, and Jesus knew that. The critics are many. He knew that too. But will you follow Christ even when the crowds and the critics won't? Will you follow Jesus in his way of being full of grace and truth even when the crowds and the critics won't? 
Will you follow Christ even when it costs your personal comfort? Will you follow Christ even when it costs your personal comfort? The way you would do something, the way you want something to be, uh, how uncomfortable something makes you? Will you follow Christ even when it costs your personal comfort? See, Jesus didn't miss his mission because he knew his father had commissioned him. And as we look back through Luke 3, we hear that, that, that voice speaking over him, his father's voice, his heavenly father saying, this is my son who I love and I'm well pleased with. And he would get alone with his father and be reminded again and again of his mission. And you know, in our own lives as well, we need to know that we have a God who has made himself known through the finished work of Jesus on our behalf and by the power of the Spirit and walking in step with the Spirit. We can receive his love and then give his love. We are intended to do that. Just as Jesus stayed on mission because he understood that his Father had commissioned him, may we stay on mission because Jesus has commissioned us. He's commissioned us. He has invited us in. And we need to be so enthralled with who Jesus is. We need to be held by Jesus. We need to behold him, to see him for who he is. Not the way in which we want him to be, not the way somebody else talks about him, but to see him for who he really is. And then hold him out to others. Hold out the hope that is found in Jesus. Here's a question for us to wrestle with. Who's setting the course for your life and your view of his church? You, the culture, or Jesus? Who's doing that for you right now? Are you setting the course of your life and your view of his church? Is the culture doing that or is Jesus? This is something that we all need to give stock and inventory to in our own lives because this is really the key to not missing Jesus in his mission, to looking at him and seeing him for who he is and what it is that he has for us. And that's why for many of us, as we look at Jesus and as we look at who he is and what he has for us, it's one thing to hear about it, but it's another thing to apprentice under Jesus. To apprentice under Jesus. And, and recently I, I talked to a friend who was telling me about this apprenticeship program that he was a part of after high school. And I was just so fascinated, and I was asking a bunch of questions. So tell me about this. He said, well, after high school, they set it up that I could get on-the-job training, and then I could take classes at different times. So it was basically 80% on-the-job training, and then 20% in the classroom setting. And he said, it's been really, really helpful to me. And as I thought about that idea of an apprenticeship, and I think it's so important for us to even just consider that because of the power of having a guide going before us, I think of how the scripture lays that out, that we're actually to apprentice under not only the master teacher, Jesus, but the savior and the leader of our lives. We're to come under him and to be in his ways and to learn his ways. So to apprentice in the way of Jesus, it means a couple things, and I want to give these to you. To be with Jesus to become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did, all right? Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. And on three, we're going to read these out loud together, all right? I want to make sure you're staying with me, all right? On three, one, two, three. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. In other words, we want to grow in the character of Christ and in his ways, 
But we also want to grow in the competencies of Christ. How he went about what he did. His character, who we are from the inside. And then the competencies coming from the outside of how we interact with people. How we see the world. How we see the places that he has put us in. So to apprentice in the way of Jesus, again, it means to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Jesus made it clear that we can't do this apart from him. And so don't hear me say, hey, let's do this in our own power. No, we're simply responding to what he has done for us. It's just me recognizing in my own life and in my own story the grace of God and then wanting to join him in response with gratitude to being a vessel of his grace to other people as well. How could I not when I think about people even at this church? As I think about Jeff Hodges and how he tangibly walked alongside me and how he would pick me up in that minivan and take me to Chick-fil-A on a Friday morning. And my identical twin brother, John, yes, he's a really good-looking guy, in case you're wondering. My identical twin brother, he owns a Chick-fil-A in the Allentown area now. He moved off with me. Many of you know John. But he would put up with both of us. But he would be fully present because he saw the person right in front of him. And he made time, and he made space, even when it was inconvenient at times. And you know what? I think about this in our own story, in our own life, and in this time, 2021, who are the next John and Joseph Alardes to come out of Smyrna First Baptist? Meaning, who, and not because we're so special, but because of the grace of God being used through you, because we are what we are by the grace of God, right? And Jeff is always quick to remind me of the radical conversion story that he sees with John and I. And I tell him, hey, that, that's awesome, praise God, but I don't want you to miss the instrument that he chose to use was you. He used you, Jeff. And you know how many others of us are going to be used that way, to join Jesus in that? How many of us are going to be used to see the next crop of leaders raised up in many different vocations, all in the name of Jesus? Pastors, planters, missionaries, those in the medical profession, teachers, those in the trade professions, and to send them out with intentionality. Hey, God is sending you. And you know, they're all around us. They're all around us, but we'll never fully know until we get going and joining Jesus in his mission. Again, we want to apprentice under Jesus. So the question for you today is, will you apprentice with Jesus? Will you come under him and his leadership and his ways to allow his character to change you from the inside out, to grow in the competencies of Christ? how he interacted with people, how he prioritized his life. Will you apprentice with Jesus? Let's pray. Father, right now, we just thank you for this moment and this opportunity. Lord, I thank you for this week that we've had, this weekend that we've had. I thank you for this refreshed conference, Lord, Mission Festival. Lord, I thank you that we can be refreshed in your ways and what it is that you have for us. Lord, I pray right now, Jesus, that you, that you, Jesus, would not only have your way in our lives, but that we would choose to join you. I know there are some here who have yet to maybe trust in you as their Savior. And I pray that today would be the day of salvation. I know trusting you sounds so scary, but Lord, we thank you through your 
life, death, burial, and resurrection, that we can have a right standing and a right relationship with you, that we can not only know that we were created on purpose, but for a purpose. And so, Lord, I pray for those who have yet to receive you, that today would be the day they do that. And then, Father, for us who do know you, who would say, I am a follower of Jesus, Lord, I pray that we would take to heart the call to apprentice under you in your ways, Jesus, not to miss you and your, your mission for our lives and for your church. Help us to see you with fresh eyes. You're here. Even when you don't look like what it is that we maybe want you to look like or what the culture or even the things that are, are shared all throughout and all around us, whether that's through a podcast or others. Lord, I just pray that we would hear your voice, Lord. I pray instead of being apprenticed and apprenticing under CNN or Fox News or a friend group or anybody else, that we would be apprenticed under you, Jesus. We pray that you, again, would go before us. We thank you, Jesus, as you prayed, that we're to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.